It was autumn, 1944. Fighting still raged across Europe, with Allied forces pushing Hitler's armies back toward the German border. Nothing was finished yet. War's fury was far from through. But as Canadian, British, and American soldiers continued to push southeast from Normandy, they liberated swaths of land, territory by territory, village by village. As they pushed across the Belgian border and south toward Bastogne, one small, broken part of the world began to reassemble itself. The Cistercian monks of Chimay were able to return to their abbey. No longer refugees, they came back to their once idyllic patch of Belgium to find it mostly still intact. But their brew house, a crucial part of the way they sustained their community, lay in ruins. All their equipment, vats, metal piping, everything had been stripped down by the Nazis and subsumed into their war machine. The yeast that the monks of Chimay had cultivated and used to brew beer for nearly a century, a living organism that had defined the original Chimay beer, was dead. Another casualty of the Second World War. It was a crossroads, no doubt about it. Monasteries all over Europe were disappearing. The two great wars had taken their toll, physically and spiritually. If the community at Chimay were to survive, they would need help. From Earblitz, I'm Nate Carney, and this is Belgian Beer Quest. Well, help arrived from a most unexpected source, from an unlikely hero, a humble, unassuming, and brilliant priest who remains a mystery even today, even in this age of on-demand information where everything is just a search away. That man was Father Theodore de Hain. In 1944, his abbot gave him a quest, figure out how to brew beer again. It seems today like a simple request, but in reality, it was epically complicated. Europe was shattered. Where would they find the money, or the equipment, or the ingredients, and how in the world would they develop a new yeast? Well, how Father Theodore responded is the stuff of legend, and his work, in its way, would profoundly change the world. Because the monks of Chimay have come a long way since then, from a knife's edge in a remote part of a broken country to a global brand available in 75 countries and synonymous the world over with excellence. What's more, Father Theodore's labor produced extraordinary fruit. In the 75 years since he embarked on his quest, Chimay has evolved into an unequivocal force for good. So at heart, the Chimay story is about how goodness is born, how it grows, how it perseveres even through the darkest times. It's about what it takes to survive and thrive. Things like time, patience, compassion, friendship, adaptability, and sometimes heroes. And of course, the Chimay story is about beer. Beer of the best quality, Belgian Trappist beer, brewed behind the tranquil walls of a remote monastery, overseen by monks with a heritage inextricably linked with the other Belgian Trappists, notably the monks at West Vlederen. So let's talk about Chimay. We'll begin our journey with a visit to the most unlikely headquarters of a global brand. Few places are more beautiful than the Abbey of Chimay, or as it's officially known, the Abbey Notre-Dame de Scoumont, which is located a few kilometers from the village of Chimay and just a stone's throw from the French border. It's lovely country there. Picture green rolling hills, silent two-lane roads winding through deep valleys, 
thick groves of trees, farms, natural springs, sleepy brick-building villages. But if you look a bit closer, you'll see signs that struggle live side by side with this beauty. Everything looks well cared for, but kind of worn. This is typical for farm countries, sure, but it also has much to do with the recent history of Wallonia, which is the southern French-speaking part of Belgium in which Chimay is located. The short story is that this region has been in economic trouble for a long time, especially in the decades after the Second World War and continuing until today. Now, it wasn't always this way, but when the coal and steel industries that once brought wealth to Wallonia collapsed, so too did much of the local economy. And relative to many other countries in Western Europe, it's still tough here. Jobs aren't easy to find. For many people, making ends meet is a challenge. Why does this matter? Well, because where Chimay is located is central to the Chimay growth story, which is very unlike nearly any other organizations. Let's consider this for a second. During the past two decades, Chimay has grown its workforce by almost 50% and its beer production by almost 75%. It has nearly doubled the number of destinations to which it exports beer. It produces more than 40% more beer than the next largest Trappist brewery, and it's a major cheese producer as well. It makes 100,000 tons of really delicious cheese each year. And even though Chimay is Trappist to the core, it diverges in one significant way. Chimay doesn't shun the outside world, at least not to the same degree as the communities that say Orval or Westflateren. In fact, Chimay embraces its status as a premium global brand. Why does it do this? According to Fabrice Bourdon, a brand ambassador for Chimay and a man who genuinely seems to love his job, the answer has nothing to do with prestige or revenue. Instead, it has everything to do with easing suffering, especially in the part of Belgium where the Abbey is located. A big part of the profits, 90% of the profits of beer and cheese goes to charity. 45% for the local helps, 30 kilometers around Chimay to help the school, the people in need, the, the, the company close to bankrupt to uh, save the jobs and continue to grow. The hospital, the young people want to create their own uh, business. If they have a good business plan, they can receive some money as a loan, 0% interest or as a gift. It depends on the project. 45% for the Cistercian Solidarity, that means worldwide, international, help the fund, some foundation in Africa, India, to help the people in need, the poor people, to find water in Africa and so on, and also to help the other Trappist and Cistercian monasteries in need. There are around 180 Cistercian monasteries in the world. Not everybody are Trappist, not everybody make an, a Trappist product sellable to have money to live self-sufficient. Then they receive help from the other Trappist monastery making money. So I loved hearing this information from Fabrice. It made me feel like each time I buy Chimay, I'm supporting a good cause, that the beer is for a bigger purpose than just my own considerable enjoyment. Chimay's philanthropic side also feels like a wonderful secret hidden in plain sight. I mean, Chimay beers are world famous. Now, if you've tried these beers or seen them in stores, you probably know the three different label colors, red, white, and blue. You may have also noticed that there are two different sizes, the standard European 33 centiliter bottle and a larger 750 milliliter bottle, kind of like a wine bottle. 
The smaller bottles are simply called by their label colors. So you've got Chimay Red, Chimay Blue, and Chimay White. The larger bottles have names that all nod toward the brewery's history. The red label is called Premier, so-called because it was the first beer. The blue label is called Grand Reserve, or Grand Reserve, and it's currently the best-selling Chimay out there. If you've tasted it, you can probably guess why it has such a grand name. It's dark, complex, spicy, and big at 9% alcohol by volume. It's sort of what you might imagine when you think Trappist beer. The white label is called Saint-Saëns, which means 500 in French, so named to celebrate the 500th anniversary of the town of Chimay. Finally, there's Chimay Gold, or Doré. This is sort of a 21st century beer, a lighter drinking beer, low in alcohol by volume. But each is very much part of the same family. They all use the Chimay yeast, which is the DNA of this beer, the thing that makes Chimay Chimay. In diving a bit deeper into each of these beers, let's start with Chimay Red, the original. That story stretches back nearly 170 years, when the Prince of Chimay in the mid-19th century, in an effort to help economically develop his area by founding a monastery, went looking for help from other Belgian monks. In a fantastic twist that has resonance to this day, especially for Trappist beer nerds, he went first to West Mala to see if they had any monks to spare that could help him start a monastery. Unfortunately, having just loaned some monks to help found the abbey at Akel, the monks at West Mala had to decline, so the prince traveled to West Fleteren instead. The abbot there agreed to send 17 monks to Chimay around 1850, and in one fell swoop, the history of today's brilliant Chimay was joined to three other future Trappist beer powerhouses. Once things got going, the newly installed Chimay monks got to work. They began brewing beer. They started to make the, the first beer in 1862. At this time, it was just for their own consumption because it was better to drink beer than water for a uh, uh, question of sanitation, mm. risk of epidemic, the process of making beer um, uh, purify all the, all the thing, all the ingredients. In 1862, this beer was called hygienical beer. Mm. And since in a, at this period, there, were, there was minimum one brewery in every village in Belgium. But it was a, a Lager style beer or a seasonal beer. <clears throat> and the monks already with a nice philosophy, a good philosophy, they, don't, they, they didn't want to make some competition with the existing brewery. Then they brew a beer more complex, more, uh, more brown than what we call the double beer. And the first beer they brew for their own consumption, the hygienical beer, is the original recipe of the Chimeret, mm. the actual Chimeret. Wow. We call in 75 centilitres Chimeret Première mm. for this reason, yes. the first beers. The monastery at Chimay grew quickly. The number of monks more than quadrupled during the monastery's early years, from the 17 monks who had traveled from Westfleteren to 90 by the time they began producing the original Chimay beer in the 1860s. But the advent of the 20th century, and specifically the Great War, World War I, took a toll on the community's population. And when the Second World War broke out, it changed things in Belgium rapidly. Remember, France had constructed the Maginot Line, a series of fixed walls, guns, and tunnels along the border with Germany after the First War. 
It was a strategy from a different time and things had changed. Technology had changed. So rather than charge into a fortified border on their way to France, Hitler's forces simply went north. The path to France took them right through Belgium and very quickly, right through the Abbey de Scremont. The Chimay monks had no choice. They had to leave and leave fast. Stay tuned for more after the break. In 1939, the monks had to quit the monastery during the war mm -hmm. because the German soldiers occupied this place, this area. Yes. More than 3,000 German soldiers were based in this area. Mm -hmm. Strategic place close to the French border. Adolf Hitler had a bunker six kilometers far from here mm -hmm. uh, on the French border in the Brûli de Pêche, yeah, in the forest. And the monks, refugees in a small village 30 kilometers far from here in Momigny, also on the French border, in a small school, always called today L'Heureux Abri, the peaceful, the, the peaceful place. Yes. They came back here late 1944. The monastery was not too damaged, but no possibility to brew again, to make cheese again, because all the metallic parts of the brew house and the cheese dairy were dis dismantled yes. for other needs during the war, you know. Along with the loss of their brewing equipment, the monks of Chimay discovered upon their return to the abbey after five years away that the yeast, the living microorganism that had been the soul, or at least the DNA, of the beer they brewed, was dead. And here is where Father Theodore de Hain steps into the story. He was 31 years old in 1944, a quiet man, intelligent, with energy to spare. As Fabrice tells me, he was also a humble man, just like his contemporaries and just like the folks at Chimay today. A culture of humility pervades the place. Walking around the brewery and the abbey grounds, you can feel it. For example, I had the good fortune to shake the hand of the Chimay brewmaster while I was there. It was my beer geek equivalent to meeting Bono or, or the Pope, and he was as down to earth as could be. And so this humility may explain the strange absence of information about Father Theodore. In this age of Google, it's almost impossible to find out who this man was or even what his last name was. Even Michael Jackson, the late great beer writer, penned a eulogy for Father Theodore that only referred to him as Father Theodore. Well, shortly after returning to the Abbey, Father Theodore gathered with the abbot of Our Lady of Scormal. His charge? Save the day. Figure out how to brew beer again, with the same recipe as before, same ingredients. Just one thing, though. Father Theodore wasn't a brewmaster, at least not yet. He knew what he had to do, but he didn't know how to do it. And so he set out on the fateful quest that would come to restore Chimay beer and set a new course for the future. Then the big job of Father Theodore first was to learn how to make beers, isolate a new strange of yeast, find some money financial help to re-equip the brew house and the cheese dairy. That's why he went to Leuven, well known for Stella Artois Brewery, but also for the university to become brewmaster. And then 
Emet, the professor Jean de Clerc, a very good uh, scientist in the beer industry at this time from 1930 to 1960. And the professor Jean de Clerc helped Father Theodore to brew, to learn how to brew good beers. They came back here, they installed a new brew house and he helped Father Theodore to isolate a new strain of yeast. Today, it's always the same yeast we use for the first fermentation of the shimmy beers in the brewery and for the second fermentation in the bottle or the cakes. By 1947, three years after having lost nearly everything, the beer we now know today as Chimay Red and Chimay Cheese were once again back online. To a great extent, Father Theodore's quest had been completed, but he was far from finished. Outside the monastery walls, a new day was dawning. All over Europe, life was similar to that at Chimay. Peoples, towns, cities, and entire countries were beginning to piece their lives back together. Things would never be the same, but the darkness was beginning to lift. To help celebrate, Father Theodore began brewing a darker, higher alcohol beer that he called Special Noel, or Christmas Special, at Christmas time. It's kind of amazing to imagine that today's most popular Chimay, the Blue Label, was born more than 70 years ago in the spirit of rebirth. It was called Special Noel, Special Christmas, but this beer was so successful, the customers want to have this beer permanent. And then in 1956, this beer became permanent and they call it Chimay Blue in small bottle and Chimay Grand Reserve in big bottle. Grand Reserve, thanks to the fact you can age this beer more than 20 years as a good bottle of wine. Yeah. The ingredients of this beer, the caramel malt, dark beer, alcohol content, plus the bottle, the protection and so on, the evolution is very interesting. Madeira taste, um, dry fruits and so on. Uh, yeah. That's the Chimay Blue. That's why it's the sole bottle of Chimay. We indicate not the millésime, but the year of production on the label, mm. because you can age this beer a long time. It's good to young, but it's also interesting if you keep it in a good cellar, wine cellar, for a long time. Mm. Low aging process. But Father Theodore, the great resuscitator, kept tinkering. It turned out, sort of ironically, that the big dark beers that often define Trappist ales weren't totally what Father Theodore was into. Like many of us, he often preferred something a bit lighter. And thus, nearly 20 years after bringing Chimay Red back to life, Chimay White, the triple, came to be. Father Theodore created the Chimay Triple, the White Cap, in 1966. Okay. Why? Because this monk didn't like so much the dark beer. His preference went to blonde beer, more bitter, more different flower taste instead of a fruity taste. And then in the lab, in his lab, he brewed six liters per week for his own consumption, a blonde beer. But six liters per batch is not enough to fix the parameters and to be able to repeat each time the, the, the same beer, yes. consistency. That's why he brewed one hectoliters, 100 liters, but it was too much for him. Then he shared with the other monks and they decided to launch this beer on the market in 1966. Shima Triple, the same typicity, but five times more hops in the recipe of the triple than the three others, Shima Blue, Shima Red, and the Shima Doré we'll speak about after. 
The last Shimei to emerge is a relatively recent phenomenon. It's Shimei Dore, or Shimei Gold. Now, monks had been brewing this beer once a year since the 1960s as a low-alcohol beer. It was something a little lighter, a little easier, kind of more suited for regular drinking. They would mostly enjoy it themselves, but would also share with monastery visitors and travelers to the nearby Espas Shimei, which is a restaurant and pub associated with the monastic community that visitors can go to today. Shimei employees would also receive two crates of Shimei Dore every month, just for themselves and their families, which might also explain the very happy feelings that I felt when I walked through the brewery. But, you know, we're talking about Shimei here. They're excellent at brewing beer. So word about Dore got around. The more people tried it, the more they really liked it. So in 2013, just a few short years ago, popular demand won out. The monks at Shimei gave the green light to launch Dore for public sale. In that brief time, demand for Dore has boomed to the point where today it represents 9% of the total volume produced by Shimei. And for good reason, too. Shimei Dore is super tasty. It's got hints of orange and coriander and a surprising complexity that's the result of brewmaster tinkering throughout the years. I was fortunate enough to share a bottle with Fabrice. Chimé Doré, a Chimé Tropist beer, the lowest in alcohol, typicity is as the, the three other Chimé Tropist beer, high fermented, with a second fermentation in the bottle or draft, unfiltered, unpasteurized, is a blonde beer, the head is very white, is only 4.8 alcohol content, the smelling, you can smell a little bit citrus mm -hmm. flavor. Yes, I definitely picked up some coming from the orange pelletés from the curacao. Mm -hmm. Perhaps you will smell also the coriander, but more in, in the testing. Then, cheers. Cheers. Wow. You have more the flavor of the coriander when you drink it. Yes. It, it tastes like summer. <laughs> Yeah. It's really light and but and it's very refreshing, mm -hmm. complex. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's the reason why you can drink this beer a little bit longer mm -hmm. than a lager beer. Yes, very convenient for the, the aperitif. It has a, a surprisingly long finish. It's, I mean, the, the taste remains not so bitter. Mm. 17. EBU mm -hmm. as the two other Shimei red and blue and the triple 38 mm -hmm. is not so high bitterness yes. but it's more bitter and the most important the aftertaste mm -hmm. is the Shimei taste is the DNA is the yeast yes. yeah. After my conversation with Fabrice, I took a quick tour of the brewery. It was phenomenal. It had a storage cave loaded with decades-old, dust-covered bottles of Chimay Blue. There were wonderfully welcoming workers, miles and miles of stainless steel piping, huge vats. It was all squeaky clean. I was impressed at the sustainability of almost everything involving Chimay. They only run one shift so employees can have work-life balance. They use local dairies and all natural ingredients to make their cheeses. You can even eat the rinds. Steam and solar power are used so the monastery can produce its own electricity and heating. 
and when I stepped out of the brewery and into the Abbey grounds, it was like I was instantly transported to some other universe. I looked back at the inconspicuous door through which I'd come. If I hadn't known where it was, I never would have suspected that a world-famous brewing operation lurked back there. I was content, and it wasn't just the tranquil location or the doré. It was the story. A world-famous brewery that gives 90% of its profits to charity, that values employees as human beings rather than resource inputs, that bends commerce to the service of compassion? The Chimay story gave me hope, and now it gives me a good feeling each time I see a package on the shelf. And that alone made the journey worthwhile. This episode of Belgian Beer Quest is brought to you by Earblitz, a production of Advantipro GmbH. Our producers include brewmaster Brett Helenius, chief chemist Manuel Flatgen, and me, your humble Abbey visitor and host, Nate Carney. Audio editing and mixing is by Manuel Flatgen, who had to use a blue label, a white label, and a red label to make me sound good. The Earblitz.com website was concocted in a spirit of celebration by Laura Hirsch, Tavo Caballero, and Aaron T. Gregg. You can find us at Earblitz.com or subscribe to Belgian Beer Quest on all platforms where you find your favorite podcasts. A very special thanks to Fabrice Baudon for lending us his time and knowledge and to the Chimay community for creating all the good things they create. Please join us next time when we step into the remarkable universe of Lambic beers where yeast literally runs wild in a way and place that is unlike anything else on Earth. Until then, cheers to you.